This is Women Crush Wednesdays from New York Women in Film and Television. We cover all facets of women working in entertainment and media, along with highlighting accomplishments of our members and previewing upcoming events. Welcome to another episode, everyone. I'm Katie Chambers, SNIWIF Senior Director of Community and Public Relations, stepping in for your usual co-hosts during this holiday week. And I'm so excited to be joined today by one of the newest members of our podcast team, Catherine Wu. Welcome, Catherine. Hello, Katie, and what a time it is to join. This has been a super busy fall season for NYWIFT. Just last week, we had four events. Monday was our virtual NYWIFT member screening of Entanglement. I'm so glad that we had a chance to share Leon Clark and Kay Tuckerman's beautiful and poetic film with our community. We had an amazing virtual conversation on Monday with panelists literally coming in from around the world. We had people chining in from Asia, Australia, New Mexico, and New Jersey. That last one was me. That was less exciting. Um, All of us talking about empowering women storytellers and the importance of lifting up Indigenous and First Nations voices, especially vital to think about this Thanksgiving week. You can watch the recording of that on our website. We also had the annual in-person staged reading of screenplays by our NYWIFT New Works Lab. It was great. This group of NYWIFT writers, actors, and directors meets every other Saturday to workshop pieces and give feedback. It was so cool to see it all come together. That's for sure. And really, there was a packed house that night, too, which was great to see. Plus, we also had a packed house the following evening at our NYWIFT night out with NYU's Fusion Film Festival alumni. We also had the second installment of our NYWIF Masterclass in Nonfiction Audio Development, a.k.a. podcasting. And registration is open now for our December Virtual Masterclass, which is about feature film budgeting. That is a really important skill set. Register now. And now, on to the latest industry news. The UCLA TV Diversity Report examined 521 live-action scripted TV shows across broadcast, cable, and digital platforms from the 2021 to 22 season to examine the presence of underrepresented groups, both in front of and behind the camera. Women saw gains in broadcast scripted leads, broadcast and cable show creators, broadcast and digital episodes directed and credited cable and digital writers. For the first time this year, the report tracked the disability status of actors. According to the findings, while people with disabilities make up 26% of the U.S. adult population, they comprise only 12.2% of broadcast scripted leads. All of this speaks to the importance of uplifting one another and making sure that all kinds of stories that we see and put out into the world are heard. That's for sure. It's we really do have a long way to go. And these studies are so important to really be able to to dig in and see those numbers so that we can understand what we're dealing with and how far we've come and how far we haven't come. The other big industry news this week is after 118 days of striking, SAG-AFTRA began voting on ratifying a new deal with studios. The vote deadline is in early December. And back on November 12th, they released an 18-page document summarizing the key points. As of right now, the proposed deal reflects minimum rate increases, regulating the use of AI, streaming bonuses, casting with virtual auditions and self-tapes, TV residuals, and much more. SAG-AFTRA represents over 160,000 people, so this is an important issue not only for all of those represented union members, but also for the other industry workers, including crew people, directors, producers, production managers, and craft services, to name just a few. 
all of whom were impacted by the 118-day halt of production on narrative work. Now, in my conversations with actors over the last few days at NYWIFT events, I've been hearing mixed responses to the deal, so I'm really interested to see how the boat shakes out. But regardless, congratulations to the negotiating committee, and we will have more updates for you next time. First up, we are going to hear about the compelling, curiosity-driven work of Emily Sankofa. Emily is an American composer, producer, musician, and artist whose work spans music, visual media, and fine art. Her original music can be heard on The Other Black Girl, Three Ways, and Lizzo's award, Emmy Award-winning series, Watch Out for the Big Girls on Amazon. She is here today to tell us about working on The Other Black Girl, the new thriller drama series that follows Nella, an editorial assistant and one of two Black women at her company, who discovers something sinister going on beneath the surface. If you love horror and haven't seen it yet, you have to run to your TV and check it out right after this interview with Emily. Hi, this is Penny Love Harper, and today I have the absolute honor to speak with Emily Sankofa. I am so glad we can talk today, Emily. Yes, I'm so happy to be here, so happy to be speaking with you today as well. So I'm I'm excited to get into the weeds here. (laughs) Emily, your talents are so diverse. I just wanted to ask you, which of the arts did you master first? Was it being a composer, musician, or a fine art? Um, So I think all of those things are actually intertwined in a lot of ways. Um, But I definitely started out as a musician, which um, not all composer, not all musicians are composers, but all composers are essentially musicians. And so, you know, I started singing in the choir actually at the age of two. I come from a um, musical family. None of my family were necessarily considered to be professional musicians um, at the level that I have gotten to. So I think I'm kind of like the first, but either way, um, my dad and my mom, my mom played violin, my dad played bass guitar in a lot of like local bands. Um, He had a few bands of his own. He played tuba in the marching band. My mother marched in the band um, at Morehouse as a Spelman um, student. And so, you know, Brother, my brother plays trumpet. My sister sings, dances. Like it's just, it's an art household. Um, so, family. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes, I have an expansive palette to pull from when it comes to just my life experience and um, the things that I've been exposed to through my family, as well as um, self discovery. Actually, so. Even like my senior year, one of my professors had heard an assignment that I had done and he was like, you should investigate what film scoring looks like because your sound is really cinematic and I think you do well. So from there, I took that advice and I started digging. And he also presented um, the Savannah College of Art and Design to me as um, as a master's program to further like get some of the tools I needed to be successful in this space. Mm-hmm. So after Hampton, I went immediately to... Um, SCAD. And throughout that time, while I'm training myself and while I'm getting the necessary tools um, to become a film composer, I'm just I'm just making music still. And, and, and a lot of the music that I made actually came out of me trying to um, showcase to people what I could do for them as a music producer, because a lot of people especially like in my generation and 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 things are allowed are allowed to grow and evolve in terms of what yes. they mean but like music producers typically were like the people who saw the project from beginning 
And that's the budget. That's the people that they need to bring in place to make the full thing happen. Sometimes music producers, music producers happen to compose and create the music as well, kind of like the Quincy Jones and stuff like that. But a lot of the music producers traditionally were the business. They were the business and logistics side. And so I was trying to communicate that to my peers. Like I can do this. I can help get the full idea, the graphics, the 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 album producing the physical, you know, um, CDs, like I can get all of that done for you. I, I kept releasing and people were like, you might as well just like be the artist. And I was right. like, okay, cool. And I, I just had my own sound and it started to um, become something I was comfortable with, but also something that I was able to leverage in other spaces. And it, it, it also kind of served as a springboard for some of the film and TV projects that I've been able to get because people might stumble upon like, some of my music that I've independently independently released, and they're like, "Wait a minute! Like, can we figure out how this sound works for like the score?" Which is also how a lot of times I end up using my voice in, in the scores. But either way, like that's really how it started. It's just me saying, "This is what I'm going to do," and following my curiosity and believing in yourself. Yeah, like, believing in myself, <laughs> and yeah, believing in myself, and just taking the risk and saying, "Like, let's see where this leads." I love it because you were intentional and that's what I'm hearing throughout your talking to me of your intention and your passion and you're looking for a best in class. I wanted to let you know that I did watch the Hulu series of the black girl. And I also want you to know that I am not a fan of suspense in any form, shape, matter. I don't even watch Shark Tank because I can't, I don't know if they're going to get the deal, but I just wanted to tell you that I was able to watch this because your music did not overpower the story. Um, as you know, as you turn the music down on any suspense or horror film, then it's just a bunch of people looking crazy. But I had to hear your music in order for it to make it make sense. And I just wanted to say that I've never watched any type of suspense, anything. You could ask my family. They know I don't do that. So when I told them watching this series before I even knew of you and they said, you're watching that, I said, yes. But the music just was so on point. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how it just melted into the whole thing. It wasn't overpowering. It didn't overshadow. It didn't say, make me say, oh no, I'm not, I'm not watching this because that's what happens with the music. Sometimes it's so overpowering that I just forget that there's a story. And I say, I'm not, I'm not watching this. I just wanted to say what an amazing, amazing job you did with that series, that Hulu series. Um, How did that come to be? Did you have the music already prepared or did you watch, read, read the script and then compose something? Yeah. So um, with that, my agent, Arbel, actually brought this to my attention and he said, hey, like um, they're shooting this this new series and they're looking for composers. Like, let's get a reel together to pitch for this. So I'm like, I read, you know, the storyline. I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. And so I sent it and a few months went by because this was before they started shooting um, and they got close to preparing to shoot and their team circled back and the writers wanted to meet with me. Um, and so I met with the writers and talked to them about like, you know, their vision for the score and just, you know, just really just getting to know them, to be honest, because a lot of it is just like them filling me out, me filling them out. Cause you know, if we're on this thing together, like we're going to be deep in collaborating for a few weeks, getting this done. And so we had that. And then I was sent um, I was sent a script to one of the episodes and read through it. And I was like, oh, OK, 
And I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those ones. And so um, <laughs> after that meeting, yeah, I was like, after the meeting, you know, I'm waiting to hear back. And I and I heard that they, you know, wanted me on board. So I'm like, okay, cool. And at that time, they had already started shooting in, because they shot in Atlanta. And so they were shooting everything here and all of that. And so I hadn't started working on the music yet. But like, once I, once I get confirmation that I'm working on something, my brain automatically starts to like assemble ideas, even if I'm not committing anything to like paper or anything yet, I'm still kind of getting ideas. So, you know, fast forward, they're pretty much almost done with production. And I get with, um, you know, I start getting with some of the producers, Rashida, um, Gus, yeah, and, and the writer, um, Gus and Jordan. And, you know, we're sitting down and trying to now really not necessarily like iron out the full score, but they they want to start hearing some musical ideas. And so, you know, I whipped up something that um, aligned with, because I think at that point too, they had sent me like um, one of the edits that they had started to assembling. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Which I think was from the second episode. Um, and based on what I had seen, I was like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I started getting the palette together. And from there, it was just a back and forth of um, conversations and um, really getting to what everybody felt comfortable was appropriate for the show. Because the unique thing about this particular project for me was that um, this was my first time doing a brand new show, a brand new narrative show. So like Lizzo series, that was like a docu-series. It wasn't, it wasn't in the flow of a narrative and those are treated differently musically. And so this was my first time working on a TV series, a narrative TV series where I had to set the tone musically and like we had to establish the tone. You know, no one's has seen the show yet. No one knows anything about it. And it's like we either hit the mark or we don't. Um, and so while that is a great amount of pressure, I welcomed it because I'm like, yes, finally, like I get to show people what I'm capable of. So I was really excited about this. And so. Um, you hit that um, mark. You know, we we went thank you, thank you. You're yeah, welcome. we we went back and forth and and talked and um did a lot of revisions because again, when you're working on a new show, um everybody is very they they're very delicate about like what ends up sticking because they want to make sure that it it again it hits the mark. So that was a fun process. I I learned a lot, I grew a lot and um I don't know. It was just, it was just great. It was fun. Um, Loved it. So yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Emily, can you just share, I'm going to just, if you can share what you, if you can, what future projects are coming up for you, if you can share you, some things, you know, it's confidential and I understand that, but if there's anything you can share um, what you're doing in the future, that would be much appreciated because I know the listeners want to know what is Emily yeah. doing next? <laughs> yeah. So, so in terms of future projects, I always kind of like to leave, leave that stuff open-ended because there's also, there's confidentiality, but even when I know that I can talk about it, I just don't until Understood. it's ready to be released. Understood. Um, because, you know, like sometimes you work on things and they don't end up coming out. <laughs> it's like, dang, we got people, we got people excited about this yep. and it's not even coming out. So, but I will say, um, you know, I feel like, I mean, I've been around for my entire life. But what I'll say is like a lot of people are just now starting to learn about me. 
And so what I encourage people to do right now is just to really comb through the depth of what I've done so far, because um, there's so much to go through. And um, it will be cool if like everybody got familiar with that journey so that they kind of understand like just how I've progressed over the course of all of these years. Um, and, and, and it's very evident, like you can kind of hear and see what, not necessarily what was going on in my life, but like what I was influenced by, or just like my albums and releases are also very thematic in nature anyway. Um, and so they're very distinct sounds, distinct visual identities. Um, everything is very distinct. Uh-huh. So every time you listen to a new release, you're hopping into a completely different world. Yes. Although yes. the thread between all of these is, you know, the consistency of my sound, but there's still evolution taking place over all of these different projects and releases. So I love it. I um, love it. You're yeah. Strong with your your strong body of work. It's just. Yes. So Emily, have you seen huh? three ways on, on Hulu? <laughs> yes, I have. OK. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, yes, I have, but see, it wasn't the the one that shook me was mm. the other girl because again, I'm not a suspense person. So when I told my my family, yeah. like you're watching that, I said you have to watch this. You have to hear this music. <laughs> <laughs> they know that's yes. the turn off. The music is mm. the turn off. This was the turn on. So this was the crazy. turn on. How can the listeners? Um, what's the best way to to connect with you? If you of your Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, which one do you want to give the listeners so they can connect with you? Yeah, so um, my website is always the priority. So that's e sankofa s a n k o f a dot com, and then you know you can get to all of my things: Instagram, um, tw- well X formerly known as Twitter. Um, there's also Spill. There's a new platform called Spill. I don't know if you've heard that, but they are, um, Perry Washington was just doing something on there the other day. I did something for the other black girl. Um, it was, it was like a live spill, but it was a Q and a attached to it. So I'm, I'm really invested into that space as well, because they're at the cusp of a new way of communicating via social media. And I'm, I'm into it. Um, I'm into I believe it that spill. Like when you spill something, S-P-I-L-L. Yep. yep. Interesting. Yeah, I can I can send you I can send you information on that. But yeah, still, shout out to them. E-Sankofa.com. That's basically you know where you can find me. And all my social is Emily. So it's uh E-M-M-O capital L-E-I. And you put that in and you can find me pretty much anywhere. Next, we're going to hear from the incredible Sarah Burke, the vice president and news director of CBS New York. Burke has now been with CBS New York since 2021 and can speak about the station's growth, both on air and streaming, the content produced for the diverse communities across the tri-state area, and WCBS TV's commitment to providing news and information that is important to these local communities for their day-to-day lives. CBS New York's streaming channel has doubled its streaming minutes over the last year to 2.2 million, and Burke attributes this to including national news stories for local viewers. Also, CBS New York is leaning into live sports, including NFL games, Big Ten coverage, and other sports franchises that are so popular for local viewers. We're so lucky that she's bringing us over a decade of wisdom to this week. Hi, this is Penny Malloy Harper, 
here with Sarah Burke. We're so delighted to have her here to share with us her illustrious career. Um, let me start by saying welcome. Welcome, Sarah. We're so happy that you're here. Thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. So I'm going to jump right in because there's so much that I want to talk about. How much time do you have, though? It's been a journey. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how um, my role at WCBS back in 2011 as the late news executive producer um, actually led me to my role that I occupy today. Um, I, I think um, most well, I sh I'll just speak for myself as a young journalist um, covering news um, in Chicago, where I grew up, and then moving a few times first to Indianapolis and then to Denver. But New York was always an aspiration for me. It's the you know it's the Big Apple, it's the capital of the world. So um, when I had an opportunity first to come to New York as an executive producer. I, you know, my husband and I packed up our things and headed east from Denver and sold most of our furniture because we downsized from, from a, a two-bedroom townhome to a 600-square-foot apartment. Uh, but it was the adventure of our lifetime. But the more important thing is that I met such incredible people in the newsroom back in 2011, many of them still working in the newsroom today, it was a strong, strong incentive to come back in the role I occupy now because I knew I was getting such an amazing team, such dedicated journalists and um, just the most passionate people we will ever find who are working every day to make a difference in the lives of the tri-state area. So it was um, exciting when they announced me, it was still sort of um, in the COVID um, times. And so it was a Zoom call from my home um, in Illinois at the time. And I saw all these faces that I had met um, and, and become friends with in 2011 popping up on the Zoom. It was like, this is your life. And so um, I, I was thrilled to be making my way back east. And uh, it's been it's been great being here in this new capacity. I'm just so excited listening to all that you've done. Um, I know that you and your WBZ colleagues received a George Foster Peabody Award and an Alfred I. DuPont Award for your work covering the Boston Marathon bombing. And you have also earned multiple regional Edward R. Merrill and Emmy Awards. Can you talk about some of them? What are some of your favorites for some of the projects that you've earned those illustrious awards, illustrious awards for? Uh, well, thank you. Yes, I, I appreciate you asking. And, and actually, I'll I'll brag about my team. Please um, do. We want to hear. I'll brag about my team that just um, took home an Emmy for uh, a documentary that we created at, at uh, CBS News New York about the 10th anniversary of Superstorm Sandy. Um, and it was ten just years, a, gosh, ten, 10 years. years. Yes, yes, ten years. It was really uh, powerful to go back to the spaces that had been devastated by the storm, to hear from people who were caught up in it in various ways, some nurses who has, who assisted people um, who were, yep, I mean, and they're amazing. These women are just incredible. They are unflappable now and just like they were back then, you know, and, and to hear them talk about how they carried people down flights and flights of stairs in the dark because the power was out. And some of them are tiny little babies. So we caught up with one of those babies who is oh a 10 year old God. now 
they just they just kept going down, you know, and, and nobody and, and they just took care of people. It was incredible. So this, the the documentary profiles people who lost their homes, some of the most dramatic stories. Uh, a man whose uh, home that he had, I mean, built with his family, and they loved it. Of course, it's home. Um, it was swept off its foundation. He describes the harrowing night spent clinging to pieces of wood to survive. And and now he was part of the government buyout of, on Staten Island. Um, and, and so his previously, what was his home is now um, just grass, weeds overgrown um, because it's not safe for anyone to build there. Yeah. Uh, but we had quite a few of those types of stories in the Sandy documentary. And um, one of the things that I really love about my team is that we're try we try new things. And so we uh, invested in some uh, Sony F-series cameras that have a really cinematic feel to them. They So they brought a different um, visual quality to our documentary. And my photographers learned how to use these cameras. And now they use them for everything. <laughs> so all of our stuff looks like movie quality. Not all of it, but a lot of it does. Yeah. So it was. It was a gift in, in several ways. The Emmy, of course, is like the cherry on top, but doing the work and making meaningful work like the documentary and then um, being acknowledged for it is, of course, great. But then also having these ongoing, these tools, that this toolkit that we've built, um, thanks to that documentary experience is really, for me, that's the lasting value. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. What motivated you to become a journal journalist? Did you plan on becoming a television news journalist or is this something that just happened in your career path? That That's a fun question. And I, I like this story. Um, so I think I always wanted to be a journalist. Um, I always, my mom told me that I, I asked the question why too much as a kid. <laughs> he was sort of tired of it and I could understand because I'm also kind of persistent. So it wasn't just why once it was, but why, but why anyway, why mom? Um, but uh, I love writing. I love the written word. I love um, how you can make people feel something by choosing the right words. So I desperately wanted to be a print reporter. And that was my plan up until I graduated college. I will not disclose the year. <laughs> However, you could probably figure it out based on, based on the fact that the print industry was starting to decline at that point um, pretty significantly. And those who were still finding success in print were people who had been at the job for quite a long time. So to be kind of a newcomer um, in the print space at the time I was coming up would have been long odds. Um, so uh, I happen to have a mom who is also, in addition to uh, sometimes being vexed by my questions, <laughs> she was a little bit of a, she was a, she was a spunky lady too. Um, and she would uh, complain to her dry cleaner that she didn't know what I was going to do with my life after I graduated from college, that I, well, you know, was going to try to work for a newspaper and she was freaking out about it. And her dry cleaner knew somebody who worked at WGN television. Oh, wow. And her dry cleaner said, why doesn't your daughter call over to my my friend at WGN and see if she can get a job there? I love this story. So I called this woman whose name is Robin Baumgarten. She is the morning news anchor 
for WGN in Chicago to this day. At the time, she was their traffic reporter. And she was so nice to me and said, I don't do anything with internships, but I'll connect you to our managing editor. And sure enough, she did. And the rest is sort of history. I I got an interview. Uh, They told me I didn't know how to write for television, which was true. I did not. Um, But they said they could teach me. And they did. And I'm, of course, grateful to this day for all the people who took a took a chance on me. From there, um, I worked hard. And I think that's the thing, um, you know, I emphasize to anyone who's starting out in in this industry or really any industry to say yes, take the chance, you know, take the sticky assignment to work overnights. I did all of those things um, Mm -hmm. because once I walked through the doors of WGN, I knew that's where my future was. I, I, I loved, loved the deadline, the deadline, the adrenaline, the people. Um, you can meet so many different types of people in a newsroom. These are folks who are visual artists, who are um, inquisitive, generally very smart, passionate type A people and around a giant group of people like that all day long was like Christmas every day. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you a question. Um, it could be kind of a difficult question, but I would like your response either way. I just wanted to know how do you think that people feel about listening to the news? Well, that's a it's a great question, and I am thank you for asking it. It's something we wrestle with a lot, especially with what we're covering. Um, what feels like more often. Uh, really hard stuff. Um, the Israel-Hamas conflict, um, violence at home. Um, we have to cover those stories. Um, those are important things to bring to our audience. What we hope you take away from our newscasts and what we work very hard on is to make it worth your time by providing something more than just the headline. Uh, We really seek to provide context. So even if we're telling you something that feels hard to hear or hard to see, um, you come away from it at least appreciating why it happened, how it fits in with the rest of our lives collectively. Um, You know, uh, we talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot about, you know, if there's a spike in crime, what's driving it? Um, so much of the things we talk about are are related to other things we cover. Um, budget cuts related to the asylum seeker crisis, related to public safety and, and quality of life. I mean, those are not separate things, even though they may be separate stories in a newscast. So trying to weave that together for people. So at least if if we're telling you something hard, it still has value. You're still at least coming away from our newscast with a deeper understanding of why things are the way they are. And also we try to shed light on solutions. What's working someplace? If we're struggling in the tri-state area with a particular issue, maybe there's someone else who solved it. Um, and to at least bring a a sliver of hope to those stories by looking at solutions. Um, we, we try very hard to do that. And we also, we talk about the mix. That's how, that's our like little phrase in our editorial meetings so that we're not 
not just bombarding you with an entire half hour of hard news. We really try to shed light on good things happening in community too. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job most days. There are some days that we don't hit the mark we intend to, but um, we've done a lot of really positive stories. Um, and we have community events and franchises and partners that we've stood up um, since I've been at the station um, to just also bring our team together, be in the community and and do things like raise some money and some food for people come, you know, around the holidays when folks are dealing with food insecurity and um, helping folks put a nice meal on the table. It makes us all feel better. And we, we love to do that. I love this. I just want to ask you one more question. Your team loves you as evidenced by the response that I get or the, the feeling I get when I'm interacting with your team and the, and the, the accolades they, they genuinely share about you. But I want to, I just want you to tell the listeners what motivates your team? How do you inspire them? Because you clearly do. Well, thank you. And and I can't take all the credit for that. I mean, I, I, I certainly hope so. And I, um, I, I want to, I want to have a newsroom and I think we work at this every day. It's a work in progress because everybody is coming into the newsroom with something that they're dealing with, right? Whether it's a bad feeling about something happening at home or just, you know, we all have things that we we carry in. But if we can put those things aside and assume positive intent every day with each other and focus on providing great coverage for our audience and also have some fun. You know, we try to have fun. We try to innovate, um, you know, how we're telling our stories, think of new things to try. Um, and I hope I've created that environment in the newsroom. Um, and then I feel like everyone, it, everyone will blossom and thrive based on feeling like they're heard and seen and that they can trust the leadership in the newsroom. That's, that's really been my goal all along. Um, I'm not sure I've answered your question, though. <laughs> you absolutely have. Oh, my goodness, you absolutely have. Okay. I just want to thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared. I feel like I know you. I, I just met you, but you're so warm and welcoming, and you're so expressive, and I appreciate your stories. I appreciate everything that you've provided to our listeners. How can the listeners find out more about if they wanted to donate or if they wanted to go to some of your community events? What is the best way to get that information? You could share that. Oh, thank you for asking that. Yes, um, it's easy. You can go to cbsnewyork.com and look for the Better Together Season of Giving um, graphic. Yeah, you should see that. It should be on our homepage. I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for all of your time and, again, for your candid responses and really giving us an insight on such great things that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Penny. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And, um, you know, I would just say there, nothing I'm doing, I'm doing by myself. I have the most incredible team and I'm a, I'm a lucky, I count myself as a very lucky person. Now, on to the fun stuff. What are your streaming recommendations, Catherine, for this week? Oh my gosh. So this week I finally watched Flora and Son on Apple TV and that's Son, S-O-N, not S-U-N. Um, but it was really cute. One of my friends recommended it to me because Little Miss Sunshine is one of my favorites. And oh, he was like, oh my gosh, great taste. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh my gosh, like this movie feels like a sort of spin-off, like almost a sequel to it. And 
definitely did. Like, I love it. It's so wholesome and so sweet. And then the other thing I watched also on Apple TV was the supermodels, Mm -hmm. which follows the iconic supermodels of the 80s and 90s, talking about like their careers and what it was like kind of at the peak and what they did after. And they did all of them really did amazing things afterwards. So it's great to hear them tell their own stories and their own perspectives on what had happened. Oh, and what are you watching, Katie? Thank you. The ooh sounds so interesting. I'll definitely check that out. Um, well, as always, my taste is very eclectic. <laughs> my my family always jokes that I have the taste of a combination of an eighty year old woman and a twelve year old boy, and nothing in between. But I would say I have my top three for this week. Number one has to be The Gilded Age on HBO. It is so fun and frothy and delightful, and especially at a time where there is so much pain and horror and violence in the world it is nice to have something that feels pure escapism and the gilded age is just that it also happens to be produced by my dear friend and our uh, past NYWIFT board member claire shanley and watch your email inboxes because we may have some exciting news about a possible gilded age event for NYWIFT coming up in just a few weeks um, also on hbo i've been watching i've actually been catching up with the first season of julia i know the second season is just dropping now um, that stars sarah lancashire as julia child i have always loved her work from happy valley um, as well as on my one of my absolute favorite tv shows which was last tango in halifax I, if you haven't seen it definitely check check it out. But she does an incredible job portraying Julia Child um, with David Hyde Pierce playing her husband. Um, It's such an interesting look at their relationship and at that era of history for the entertainment industry and public television. And again, another one that is just fun and relatively light. Um, Last but not least, everyone who listens to the podcast knows that I'm an MCU-obsessed girl, so I watched the rest of season two of Loki, which I thought was beautiful and heartfelt and touching and meaningful and so beautifully acted, which none none of which are words you necessarily are going to associate with a superhero TV show. Um, but I thought it was just gorgeous and, and congratulations to everyone involved. Before we wrap, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Catherine. She has been one of our fabulous NYWIFT interns and done an amazing job. Now, Catherine, it is not goodbye since you're graduating our internship program and then joining the podcast team. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit of info about you and your background? Thank you, Katie. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Catherine. I'm a senior in dramatic writing at NYU and an aspiring TV writer specializing in young adult mysteries and dramedies. Right now for class, I'm working on a pilot about an aspiring reporter and former pageant queen who fake a kidnapping to fight for their 15 minutes of fame. I am so happy to be a part of the podcast team and interning here has been such a positive experience and I'm really excited to keep all of this good energy going. Oh, thank you so much. We we are so lucky and blessed to have you on the NYWIF team, and we're glad that you get to continue. Thank you. Listeners, do you have a recommendation, an accomplishment, or a story to share? Would you like to be featured on an upcoming episode or have a segment idea? We would love to hear from you. Email us at communications at nywift.org. And be sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, then leave us a review as it helps others find their way to us. Also, be sure to check out nywift.org for latest news, blog posts, and program events from New York women in film and television. Thank you all for joining us today. And until we meet again, keep on crushing it.